and evil suspicion, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a mean of gain from which such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these things, be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith, in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've blessed us to be in a spot where we can come and openly serve you, and, and Lord, just set before your feet and bask in your glory. Lord, uh, I just uh, I, I pray that we just see and hear um, the words that you have for us, Lord, just to see your glory in this place, and Lord, just soften our hearts and prepare our hearts for what you have for us today. We ask that you just bless Jackie as he comes forth and teaches your word, Lord, that uh, your word will go out and it does not return void. And we give you all the power and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we continue working our way through the practical parts of... uh, First Timothy, we worked our way through the doctrine and now typically what we want to do and one of the things we always want to do when we come to study in the word is we want to observe what's going on. We want to have the right interpretation, meaning we want to understand what was the author's point. What was he telling us? What did he say? And then we want to apply it. What are you going to do with it? So we look at that first part of Timothy and he's challenging us to look at the standard Right? Remember the standard for elder, the standard for deacon, the standard for widow. There's a lot of standards. And, and the point of the standard is not to ignore the standard and say, well, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, so the standard doesn't matter. The standard's the goal. You can't hit a target you're not looking at, right? So we look at that target and we say, this is what I want. Now, the scripture also tells us in Proverbs that a righteous man falls how many times? Seven times in a day and does what? He gets back up. Righteous man will fall. The Bible calls a fellow named Lot. You guys remember Lot? Yeah, you know the Bible calls him righteous? You ever read the story of Lot? Well, for all you daughters, you don't want to have a father like Lot, I can tell you that. For a couple of reasons, which we won't go into. But at least once, you know, when he's in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels come and the town rises up and wants to take those angels, you remember what he did? He said, hey, I got a couple of daughters you can have. Father of the year, right? (laughs) Just give your daughters to an angry crowd? That can't be good. The Bible called them righteous. Not because he was perfect. Not because he always did the right thing but because he always knew who had the right answer. A righteous man is a man who keeps his knees bowed before a holy God and recognizes God's place. And we want to be men and women who can understand that. Not that we, we have this, this tendency, right? And, and there's, there's two errors. We have a tendency of, 
of judging people by their the things that they're doing. Um, and, and then we also have a tendency to excuse people for everything they're doing. And both of them are wrong. Jesus is calling us to live a life in submission to him. His way. Not ours. We just sang a song about it, didn't we? It's when we come to the battles of life. Whose job is it to fight them? Yeah. It's not, it's not our... We like to manipulate. Anybody ever been guilty of trying to manipulate a situation? Solve a problem through manipulation? I know what we need to do. We're going to do it like this. And we just sat here worshiping the Lord saying, you know, all I did was what? Praise. Worship. All I did was stay bowed down before my king. And he fought the battle for me. Now, has that story ever happened anywhere in the Bible? Yeah. Over and over and over and over. If something's repeated over and over in the Bible, you think it's important? So maybe that's something we want to learn to hold on to, right? We want, we are striving for men and women who are put their eyes to the standard that God calls us to and walk trying to achieve the standard that God gives us, but recognizing when I fall, my job is to repent, confess, and do what? Get back up and keep going. That's what we do. That's, that's life on this planet. Until the day Jesus Christ returns, today would be great. On the day that he returns, and then the king is here, and we're transformed, right? Scripture says we will become like him. We will lose the, the sin nature that makes it so easy to stumble and fall. He will have accomplished what he came to do, right? Right now we have a guarantee that it's coming. The guarantee is his Holy Spirit given to us to empower us to be more than we are. But one day he's going to finish the transformation. Amen? One day we're going to arrive. Now when we come to our text this morning... He begins talking about slaves, and a lot of times we like to talk about slaves like in the relationship between employees and employers and and kind of avoid some of the context. So I don't want to do that. I want to talk to them as slaves because one of the things we have to realize is God is calling us to be slaves. People get on the Bible's case because the Bible never condemns slavery. There's a reason the Bible never condemns slavery. Because it's calling you to be a slave. It's hard to condemn something and then ask you to be it. Right? We, we just looked at the words. We, looked at, we talk about words. So they're, they're holy today. Well, I, I was ministering to. What does that mean? I was serving. I was being a slave to someone or something else. That's what minister means. Diakonos, being a deacon. What does that mean? Being a slave. Every time the apostles begin their letters and they're talking about who they are, they say, Paul, an apostle and bond slave of Jesus Christ. He's declaring himself as a slave to God. Now, currently in our world, we have this concept that slavery is bad no matter what. And we probably need to grow up a little and get over that. 
slavery is not bad no matter what. We, we have this idea that all slavery is evil. All slavery is not evil. In the ancient world, if you were looking at your wife and your children who are starving to death, would you really stand up in your pride and say, I will be no man's slave and watch them die? That's what you would do? The Bible says God resists the proud, but he has grace for who? The humble. What would the humble do? Well, the humble would bow down and say, I can save my wife and my children if I will sell myself into slavery. And so they would do this. Now, does that mean there was never bad guys who had slaves? No, that's not what that means. But the Bible had a challenge for both masters and slaves. The Bible said for masters, take care of the slaves. Don't abuse them. Don't misuse them. Don't maltreat them. That was not always the example of masters in history, right? The Bible has the same things to say for slaves. Hey, slaves, do right by your masters. This concept, this idea that he's calling us to is the duty of a servant and the call to God's people. The call to God's people is to walk in humility. The call to God's people is to be a doulos, bond slave. That was a, a doulos was a person who chose slavery. Not someone who's kidnapped and sold as a slave. That's different, right? That's not okay. A doulos was someone who said, I want to be, I'm choosing a life of slavery, a life of servanthood. That's what it is to be a Christian. To be a Christian, we're saying to God, I'm choosing a life of slavery. You're the master. And I am yours. Mold me. Make me. These are all songs we sing, right? Do we hear the language of slavery there? He says in verse 1 of 1 Timothy 6, Let all who are under the yoke as bondservants, doulos, slaves by choice, let all those who are under the yoke regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Now, you're going to have a hard time going through the teachings of Christ and saying, well, God doesn't want us to be servants. Right? You're going to have a hard time going. Now, we, we tenderize words, right? I don't like to tenderize words because it takes the shock value out of them. We say, you know, minister, like there's minister parking. What in the world is minister parking? Where did the slaves park? What do you think the slaves parked in the front? No, you want to find my truck? It's way out there. If you want to find my bike, it's in the shop. <laughs> it's parked a long ways away. <clears throat> hey, we, we, we have this idea, right, that there's some elevated station. There's no elevated station. The reality is God is calling men and women to be willing to be servants for him, for whatever he has. And it's so weird in our culture. Because our culture, you know, is, I should get what I do. I should get my due. What's my due? I don't know what, your, what you think your due is, but Christ is due everything. It's all his. 
He just let me use it. The bike I got, that's Christ's bike. He wants it, he can have it. He's taken it before. <laughs> the stuff I got, the house I have, the life I have, that's all Christ. It's his. I am his doulos. I am his bondservant. So we want to treat our masters with honor. So we ought to honor God. Do you ever think about that? We ought to honor God. How are we, how are we honoring God? If God is our master, in our day, there's not too many slaves, right? Oh, there's still countries where slavery takes place, and we can make the correlation between an employee and an employer, but that's a little different too, right? You still get to decide whether you want to go to work, right? You, you may say, I have no choice, but you have a choice. So, but when we, when we look at this, he's saying, I want you to give all honor. We, the Bible talks about honor. It says we should honor a widow who's really a widow. You remember? The Bible says we should honor elders. Remember? The Bible talked about that. The Bible says we should honor our mother and father. For how long? There's no end date on that. I, was, I used to think when I got 18, that was it. I don't have to honor mom and dad no more. And now I know that that, that, was, that was not quite true, right? I'm always supposed to honor them. I'm always supposed to honor. I want to do things that are honorable toward our parents. When we live our lives, are we honoring God? Do we honor God by... By the things we do, the things we say, the places we go. Is it our goal to honor him just as a slave was to honor his master so that the name of God would not be reviled? Verse 2 says, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. <clears throat> Paul never said, look, if you got a believing master, he should let you go. No. Starving to death was not a good plan. If you were fortunate and you sold yourself into slavery and you had a believing master, Paul says, honor your master. Don't be, don't be less, don't be more lazy because he's a believer. So often we, we are so, what's a good word for selfish? We're so selfish. How do we do it? We, we are so selfish because we can always see how someone else hasn't treated us right. Right? But it's so hard for us to see how we haven't treated them well or with honor. So here he's saying to the slave, honor, honor the believing master. Respect him. Do right by him. We should be doing right by one another. Looking for opportunity to bless one another. Not looking for reasons to withhold blessing. We should be looking for opportunities to build one another up, to encourage one another, not looking for opportunities to bring one another down. Honor. Lowering ourselves. Sometimes in our world we think what we need to do is climb up on the shoulders of the dude in front of us. Right? And I'll climb up on him or push him down on the ground and climb up on him and climb up on them. And this is how we make ourselves more holy. But Jesus said... If you want to make yourself more holy, get as low as you can. He had this way of teaching the great reversal, right? We want to be respectful of one another. Rather, 
serve all the better since those who benefit from their service are believers and beloved. Wow. If you were a slave to a believing master and he profited from your slavery, God's saying celebrate that because a believer is profiting from your work. Is that how we think about things? It's a very me time right now. How does this all affect me? Listen to what Jesus said. Luke 22, verse 25. This is Jesus speaking. He said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. It shall not be so with you. You shall not be elevating yourself above one another. You shall not be considered someone else's benefactor. But rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest. So the idea in the culture, right? The youngest had the smallest voice at the table. Remember the disciples are always caught around Jesus doing what? Same thing. What are they always doing? Arguing about what? Who's best? Is that changed? Who's got the best church? Who's got the best worship team? Who's got the best preacher? Who's got the best chairs? Who's got the best carpet? Who's got the best parking lot? Who's got the best? Who's got the best? Who cares? Who cares about any of it? The way you become the greatest is you be the least. The way you become the highest is you become the lowest. Because that's the standard The standard is Christ. Listen, the greatest among you becomes as the youngest, the leader as one who, there's that generic term we like so well, right? Serves. So I'm I'm a servant. We need to put slave everywhere it says serves because that carries a better concept on the one who slaves. That was different. I know it was different when I come home. And I'd ask mom, hey, mom, can I, can I have a snack after school? And she'd say something like, I've been slaving in this house all day, and I don't have time to make you a snack. I knew that she felt like she was getting a little overworked and underappreciated, right? It was different if she said, oh, I'm so happy to serve you. Do we get the difference? He's saying, look, I want the leader to be a slave. And we can't ever lose sight of that. And that's the leader speaking to me. That's a leader of a Sunday school class. That's a leader of a family. That's a leader on a job. That's a leader anywhere. And we all know because we all appreciate when we see it. When I was in the Marine Corps... There, there was lots of people in charge, right? There's always a lot of people in charge. And they often had shiny things on their collars. And so, and that was okay. Everybody knows they're in charge. But they'd start barking and everybody look at Gunny. And Gunny usually say, well, you heard him. You're not deaf. Let's go. Because we just want to make sure this guy's not going to kill us. So we're looking to Gunny. Gunny? This okay? You, you heard what he said? This going to be all right? He'd say, yeah. We follow 
the one who was in the trench with us. Right? And you know the cool thing of the relationship is all those guys who would come fresh out of of Annapolis or some school that qualified them to to uh, lord it over men, eventually they were down in the mud with you too and you never looked at any no more. You just did what they said. Because you were spending time down in the mud and the blood together. That's how it's supposed to be in the church. Nobody lording it over anybody else. Is there a hierarchy? Sure. That's the only way things function. Right? Someone's got to make a decision and everybody else has got to say, yay, let's go. <clears throat> so we still function that way, but we're down in it together. All serving one another. This is what Jesus said. He said, for who is the greater? The one who sits in the recliner at the table or the one who serves? Now, in their world, the disciples' world, who was greater? The one who's in the recliner. Who just hollers and someone comes and brings him his drink. Claps his hands. Somebody starts to fan them so they don't overheat. In the lazy boy. But Jesus is saying, look, that's not the greatest. The greatest is the one who's fanning him. The greatest is the one who brings him the drink. Not grumbling, who just does it. The one who serves. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, I am among you as the one who serves. The example that God gave us to follow is the example of a slave. The whole world will clamor and say, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. Sure, it can be. But not if you follow the example Jesus gave. Not if you're the kind of man or woman that Jesus is calling you to. Well then, if that's true, if that's what God's calling us to, then what are we supposed to do with that? Verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up, conceited, understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So he's saying, Paul's saying, there's a contrast. If they think opposite of this, <coughs> there's a contrast with the words that Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, we'll take a look. What is it that Jesus taught about this? What did he say? Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What is your great focus in life? To achieve greatness on earth as the one who reclines at the table being fanned by the slave or to become great in heaven? This was constantly what Jesus was asking the people. Where do you want to find your greatness? He's going to say you can have it at one place or the other. But you cannot have it in both. You can live for the temporary, the temporal, the things that are passing away. Or you can live for the eternal, the things that are lasting. 
you cannot do both. They are opposing ideas. We must choose a lane. He says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, what's the next line? That's where your heart will be. Where's your heart? Is your heart with Christ? If Jesus is your treasure, that's where your heart is. If your children are your treasure, that's where your heart is. If your grandkids are your treasure, that's where your heart is. Jesus said, well, you can be great here or you can be great in heaven. Because if you're trying to be great in heaven, your tendency, the tendency is to be despised here. Because nobody loves a slave. Everybody loves a master. Nobody loves the servant. The servant, you know, they all don't mind that. That's just the guy who sweeps up. Never mind him. That's just the, that's just the, the guy that cleans the bathrooms. That's certainly not the highest job on the, on the achievement range, right? Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. If your eye is focused on gold, then the desire of your whole body will be to attain gold. If your eye is on a woman or your eye is on a man, your whole body's goal will be to achieve, right? To have. He's saying the eye is the lamp. What is your eye focused on? Nobody can tell you what that is. You have to tell you what that is. Is your eye focused on Christ? We say things like, yea, Lord, come quickly. We can't wait to see your face and to look into your eyes. Is that real? The words are easy. Anybody can say words. What is filling your eyes? This is what the scriptures mean. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. And the light in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? If you're focused on the wrong things, you can be doing great, but not doing good at the same time, right? You get what I'm saying? <clears throat> this is what he's laying out for. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Can't be the winner if the scorecard is biggest bank account in both heaven and earth. The two don't work together. Therefore, here's what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you will drink, or about your body. What are the most things we're most anxious about in life? Come on, I look on Facebook and there's a picture of food every stinking day. Somebody. There's a pictures of food, right? There's pictures of stuff. That, uh, um, how, much, how, many, how many diets have you all tried? Yeah. You know, look, this doesn't sell books. But I'll tell you, the perfect diet. Burn more calories than you eat. Man, yeah, nobody buy that book. What I got to do is say, oh, no, wait, there's a special food. And if you eat it, your body actually burns more calories than you used when you ate it. Really? Yeah. And then they come up with a fancy word for it. 
some, some, uh, I don't remember how it goes. Y'all seen the commercial, ain't you? Anyways, we have a lot of things we focus on. The things we're anxious for. What, what's my body look like? Am I too fat? Am I too skinny? Am I too ugly? Am I too tall? Am I too short? But God says, stop worrying about all that stuff. Stop worrying about all of those things. Not about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you're going to put on. How, long, how much time we spend thinking about what we're going to wear? Yeah, all of us guys, all of us guys have that answer. Yeah, about 30 seconds. <clears throat> Kathy tells me too, she said, you only spent 30 seconds thinking about what you were going to wear. Yeah, sometimes. He says in verse 26, look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or gather. But your heavenly father takes care of them. Are you not worth more to him than they? But we get focused on wrong things, don't we? He says, consider the lilies of the valley, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. You ever seen a flower working out? (laughs) Nope. You haven't? It's crazy. But he says, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, with all his gold. Solomon had so much gold and silver, they quit counting it. They said... In Israel, there was more gold and silver than rocks. Now, you might say, well, what's the big deal? Then you ain't been to Israel. <laughs> they don't build with sticks. They build with stones. You guys heard the story, right? Two angels were supposed to deliver all the rocks around the world. One was lazy and one was diligent. The diligent one flew around the earth and sprinkled rocks everywhere. The lazy one dumped them all in Israel. (laughs) I am not joking you. You are not going to trip over a stick, but you will trip over a stone. There's rocks everywhere. But they said there was more gold and silver than rocks. But Jesus said, Solomon, in his fanciest getup, with all the gold thread, his fanciest getup was not as pretty as them flowers that you didn't see toil or spin. They happen because they rely on God. Remember, all I did was praise. All I did was worship. All I did was bow down. Jesus is saying, look, why are we anxious? What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we air? The Gentiles of the world, they seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But here's where you should focus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I spent a lot of years seeking first the kingdom of Jackie. Building the kingdom. Manipulating the kingdom. Putting rocks. Trying to build the biggest castle I could. And all the while I was doing that, I can hear Jesus saying, Seek first the kingdom of God. And I think, how many stones, I laid a lot of stones for me. Remember when David, David was saying, Lord, I built this giant palace. And I've worked on this kingdom, but God, I just want to build you a house. I just want to build you a house. Wanting to invest in the kingdom of God. According to God. 
You don't got to come to me and say, Jackie, well, I want to invest in the kingdom of God. What do I got to do? You got a direct line to the Lord just like I do. Do what God's telling you. Ask him. He likes to talk to you. Yeah, you just got to want to talk to him. We call that prayer. Well, how do I hear from him? Well, in the back of the chair in front of you, there's a Bible. You know what they call that? God's word. You want to hear his word? Pick it up. Read it. I don't like what's there. I'm sorry. (laughs) Read it. Know it. He will show you. So Jesus said, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Live for the eternal, not the temporary. Now we got to live, got to eat, got to drink, got to have a house, got to do the things we got to do. We do what we got to do. That's going to take X amount of hours in a day. Now don't take the next X amount of hours and say, that's all for me. Because it's easy to give all the time to work and all the time to you. And then you give God what's left. And there's a concept in the Bible about giving God first fruits. You know that? First fruits means he gets the first cut. Not the, not the leftovers. A slave gets the leftovers. So I say, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm your slave. You get prime cut. You get first cut. Well, what if, I, what if I'm focused in a different direction? The Bible says you have this attitude that will come in you. You will be puffed up. James 4, 1, 6 says, Where do quarrels and what causes fights among you? Anybody struggling with quarrels and fights? Nope. Hey! So if we're struggling with, with quarrels and fights. <clears throat> Here, the Bible says, here's what comes. This is where it comes from. You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on yourself. You adulterous people, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that Scripture says, listen, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God yearns jealously for the spirit in you. He yearns for you. God is, we used to sing a song, you remember? He is jealous for me, right? He wants you. You ever been in a relationship where you really wanted somebody, the best for somebody, and they don't want you back? God says he yearns jealously for you, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God resists who? Gives grace to who? Who's the humble? The slave. The humble's the slave. The one who takes the... Less, least seat at the table. So remember, Paul wrote, 1 Timothy 6, 3, If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound works of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the teachings that accord with godliness, <clears throat> he's puffed up with conceit. He's proud. God resists who? The proud. He gives grace to who? 
the humble. The proud is saying, no, I don't need to be like this. I don't need to take the low seat at the table. I've been here a long time. I want the best seat. I've done my 10 years or whatever, 20 years, 25 years. I get the best. The Lord says he's puffed up with conceit. He understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. Anybody know somebody like that? An unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels. His concerns are in the wrong place. That's why. Look, I always talk about this idea. We want to, we have something called the round table where we sit around and argue. Okay? And it's good argument. You know why it's good argument? Because if someone is there to only be right, they won't ever come back. Because at the round table, most of the time you leave thinking, I don't think, I don't know if I'm right. I, I don't know if I got this right. And so, which propels you into what? Wanting to grow, understand more, so that maybe your argument develops or, or what have you. But someone who's only wants to change everybody else's mind to be like me, they get frustrated. They get frustrated because you won't think like they think. Does anybody know somebody who doesn't want to think like you think? Yeah. I know lots of people who don't want to think like I think. Here's an unhealthy craving for controversy, trying to force someone to think the same thoughts you think. It's not about me. A healthy controversy is sitting down and hearing one another. Talking about it. Opening up your hearts. That's healthy controversy. Unhealthy, their focus is on the wrong thing. Me. Which is not the attitude of a slave. If a slave was having an argument with a master, how does it go? It goes like this. The master says, hey, I'd like you to take out the trash. And the slave says, okay. Right? Well, that's not how it goes. But if the concern is for me... And the master says to me, take out the trash. Well, I don't. Why do I got to take out the trash? Oh, we've all had this conversation with our children. (laughs) Why do I got to take out the trash? I'm oldest. It's the youngest job to take out the trash. There's always somebody else. Eventually, there's nobody at the line. You get to the youngest and he points the dog, the cat. Somebody else has to do it, right? We don't want to have that focus, concern on self. We want to have focus and concern on others. So what we learn from Christ is he came to be a servant of all. You know the cool thing? If you were following Jesus, you know what Jesus would do? He'd just take out the trash and not say anything. Because he said, I'm a servant of all. I was once at a youth conference back when I was young. And we're at Marietta in California. Chuck Smith was still alive back then and looking around thinking, man, it's a pretty clean place. Well, I had this habit. I was, I'm always drinking something. You guys know. I'm walking around with a monster. Or in those days, used to be a Coke. So I have a Coke. So I slurped the last of my Coke out, but there's a bunch of ice. And I didn't just want to throw all the ice away. So I just dumped the ice out on the ground and threw the cup away. And about two seconds later, Chuck Smith comes walking up with a little broom and a dustpan and sweeps up the ice and throws it in the trash. 
And I felt like the dumbest human being on earth. (laughs) Dang. Papa Chuck, the guy who started the whole Calvary Chapel movement, was not above picking up the trash. Sweep, even if it's not, you might think, that's not, it's ice, it's going to melt and make little clean spots. I'm outside. It's not like I dumped the ice on the ground in the middle of church. I'm just outside. This was the attitude to be the servant of all. What does this attitude, this selfish attitude produce? It produces envy. Envy is a sick competitiveness. Like, so it's, it's not necessarily bad to be competitive, but envy is like sick competitiveness. I just want what everybody else has. I want what you got. Because who's the focus in the equation? Me. I want what you have. If I was a slave, I'd just say, okay, whatever, you, you can have it all. I'm not living for this world. You didn't bring nothing in, and you're not taking a U-Haul with you. Right? My kids will fight over all my stuff. They'll fight over who gets what gun. Who gets the Harley. Maybe I have to get a couple more. And then I have one for everybody. Cat, that could be a good idea. <clears throat> Man, that, this, the, the person who's living for themselves focused on all the wrong things. We got to be focused on others. We got to be focused on what honors Christ in, in our choices and the things that we do. Otherwise, we have envy, we have dissension, we have slander, we have evil suspicion and constant friction. Man, we have, we have malicious talk, that's slander, we have chaotic dissension literally is what that says is chaos all around us because everybody's clamoring for themselves but it's not supposed to be like that in the body of christ in the body of christ we're supposed to be caring about others every who cares about all the stuff who cares you want the best seat at the table then give it to them take the low seat that's what jesus said let them have all that. Let the ones who want to live for all that, let them live for that. You live for Christ. Because sometimes people think godliness is a way to get ahead. Church becomes a social construct where we can do business. It's another place to do our network, uh, networking. It's another way to develop business. But the... The idea is godliness is a means of gain. It is. But you've got to look at the next verse. We've got to understand what Scripture says in verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness, how does he say it? With contentment is great gain. Godliness saying, i got enough. i got enough. I don't need more. I just want to understand more about him. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, with these we should be content. You got food? We got lots of food around here. You, don't not, you do not ever have to be hungry. Not ever. Not, I've been doing this gig for a long time. 23 years I've been full-time working for the church. 10 years we've been here in Buell. 
I have never let somebody walk away hungry in 10 years. Not one time. Now, I've had people who came in and said they were hungry and didn't want to take food. That's not the same thing. Do you understand the difference? I don't let nobody be hungry. I'll give you food. I got, we used to have five freezers here full of food. I'd started whittling through that. We got one freezer now. <laughs> but it's full of food. And we'll put more in it if it needed to go somewhere. There's food pantries in Buell, food pantries in Filer. We got soup kitchen out in Twin. Don's doing that. There's lots of opportunity in places for people to, to be able to have food and clothing. Nobody has to be without. That part's still available, still being accomplished. That should make us content. I don't know. Sometimes our stuff doesn't have enough chrome on it. Right? Sometimes our stuff isn't shiny enough. But I always have to check myself. Am I getting too focused on the things that don't really matter? And losing touch of the things that really do? I like good stuff. You don't like good stuff? Good, it's okay to have good stuff. The Bible says, godliness with contentment is gain. If God's giving you good stuff, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Enjoy the good things God's given you. Just don't be owned by them. It's only stuff. It all breaks. Yeah? If it's a Harley, it breaks more often than some other things. It all breaks. But it's okay. Because it can all be fixed. We can enjoy the things that God gives us, but we want to have the right attitude. We want to have contentment. Verse 10, or verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, what's it say? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. This is the problem with the slave. Agree? If you, if you spent most of your life poor, the other side looks pretty good, don't it? I've been poor a long time. Seems like the problems of the rich are cool. I'd like to trade. Right? And maybe, I don't know if there is a place where you're this rich. Maybe there's a point where you're rich and you say, man, I'd sure like to have the problems of the poor. Right? The point of the entire idea is, look, if your desire, what are you filling your eyes with? What's your goal? Is your goal to live a life that honors Christ? That glorifies God so that when you see him face to face, you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. If that's your goal, your eyes are full of light and you're doing okay. But if you have a desire for something else, a desire to be rich, a desire to be wealthy, a desire for anything else that's not a desire for the treasure of Christ. If you have a desire for those things, you're falling into temptation. Into a trap. Into a snare. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, sometimes those, those things fill our vision and we're no longer able to see God. So we lose our track. We lose our path. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now I'm going to tell you right now, the people who, have, who struggle from the love of money the most are the poorest. Not the richest. 
The people who struggle with the love of money are usually the people who don't have it. That's why they're struggling with the love of it. I need it. I want it. I got to get it. And that will lead us into a place where if you listen to the phrases, I'm saying, I, 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 but a slave, a slave lives their life on the goodness of the master and doesn't have to worry about what do I got. Do you understand why the Bible values the idea of slavery? He doesn't, he doesn't have to have his focus in all these things. He can have his focus simply in the reality of trusting the master, of bowing at the, at the feet of the, of the master. But this is not the American dream, right? The American dream is I can one day have more than everybody else ever had, and then I win. But that's, that was never Jesus' dream for you. Jesus' dream for you was someone who would submit themselves to the master. And if Jesus chooses to make you wealthy, praise God, enjoy your wealth. If Jesus chooses for you to be poor, then enjoy your poverty. You have a good master either way. Whether you have much or whether you have little. But if I start to fill my eyes, my desires to elevate me at a better place at the table, to elevate me because of a bigger bank account or a bigger house or better stuff, when I start to do that, I find myself making all kinds of compromises I wouldn't have made if I just stayed the slave. If I just stayed in the low place. Listen to what he says at the end. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Pierced themselves with many pains because they're chasing that thing that God said no. But you want it so bad. And it's hard sometimes. Because sometimes the thing you want so bad is health. But sometimes God says no. Sometimes the thing you want is wealth. But sometimes God says no. Not all the time. Maybe you want a husband or you want a wife. But maybe God said no. If we can embrace Jesus' teaching on the relationship between the slave and the master, we can find contentment even in God's no's. Even when the Lord says no, I can be content. I can be content with, with much or with little. Isn't that what Paul said? I have learned, he said, I have learned to be content with much. And to be content with nothing. I have learned in whatever state I find myself. But you know Paul's able to say that because he begins his letter by saying, I, Paul, a doulos. I choose a life of slavery to Jesus Christ. And if Jesus blesses you, praise God. Be generous. Be, be a faithful steward of the good things God's given you. And if God gives you less, praise the Lord, be a faithful steward of the things God's given you. If God gives you health, praise God, be a faithful steward of the things God's given you. If God gives you illness, praise God, be a faithful steward 
of the things God has given you. Paul said, because whether I live or I die, I do everything to the glory of God. His eyes filled. This is what it is to be Christian. This is the practical sense of taking the things that Paul's been teaching us and saying, this is what this means. I'm choosing the life of the low, of the servant. It's about everybody who holds public office, right? They're called a public... (laughs) Almost makes you laugh a little bit, right? Jesus said, right? He said, look, I'm not telling you to do it like they do it. Don't do it like the world. God's world is upside down. Or right side up. And we're upside down. Doesn't really matter which way you go. Jesus said, if you you want to be rich, give everything away. He said, if you want your life, give it away. If you want the things, whatever good things in your life that you want. He, he calls us to, to just, just open up your hands and put them out. And then whatever God puts in them, just don't close your hand on it. Just leave the hands open. That way, if God wants it, he can have it. And as long as it's in your hand, you can have it. And if you keep your hands open, you know God's going to keep putting stuff in them. He'll keep blessing. He'll keep guiding. No matter what. It all starts with a choice we make. We can either choose to say, I will be exalted. Or we can say, Jesus Christ will be exalted. One or t'other. Last thing Jesus said, Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, devoted to the one or despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Let me simplify that. You can't serve God and anything else. You just exchange the word money for me. I can't serve God and me. Can't be choose. Joshua said, for me and my family, we will Serve. What does that mean again? We'll be slaves to the Lord. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you in worship. To be able to stand before you and open our hearts and lift our hands and declare you to be our king. To declare you to be our master. To declare you to be our defender. God, to declare you are the, yours are the words we desire to hear as we open the word of God and as we take that word and we digest it and we <clears throat> make it a part of our life, Lord, all these things. God, this whole morning is about exalting you, lifting you up. Because God, we want you to be famous. We want your name to be on our lips to be quick to praise God in the good and in the bad because we accept you, Lord Jesus, as our master. I am your doulos, a 
slave by choice. I choose you as master. So God help me keep my knees bowed. Not manipulating circumstances for my own benefit. Help me just be a servant for you God. So if you want me to be a slave to others. Then help me be a slave to others. Help me deny myself. Take up my cross. And follow you. For yours is the example that leads to life. For if you would find your life, Jesus said, you must lose it. I love that line and the lyric in the song. When I lost my life, you knew where I left it. And you're the source to give it so that we can walk in it. So God, be glorified in this place as we have a number of people here who we pray are able to say, I am your doulos. Not looking for a way to to erase the concept of slavery. I'm thinking Jesus is calling us to slavery, to be slaves for the king and may your name be glorified and magnified wherever we go may whatever you give us Lord Jesus be enough for us and we will praise your holy name in Jesus name we pray amen Christ alone Cornerstone